0: di lights camera action those words represent excitement glamour fame big business and many other things to many people we associate those words with hollywood and the world of movie making and we should hello storytellers and welcome to another episode of change your story change your life I believe, as you know, that readers are leaders. That's why I've chosen Audible as our sponsor. They're offering you, the listeners of this show, a downloadable, free audiobook of your choice. You get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. I love getting comments from the listeners, from you, the storytellers. Different opinions, different takeaways, different moments of inspiration. Keep those ideas coming and also your comments about what you'd like to see in this show going forward. Send them to Club at gmail.com. That's L O U S. C-L-U-B at gmail dot com. And if you're a regular listener, you're obviously getting some value from this show. Let other people know about that and increase the visibility of the show. Pay it forward by paying a visit to iTunes and leaving a brief review, sharing your takeaways. And at the same time, give us a five-star rating. And thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest is a man at home in Hollywood. He's an award winning producer and media expert, creating content for TV, advertising, digital, and theatrical release. He's a member of the Television Academy of Arts and Sciences and the founder of Nightlight Pictures in Los Angeles. He's developed everything from unscripted TV series, pilots, live musical events, music videos, and much, much more. His work has been seen on Discovery Channel, History Channel, Bravo, TVO, and ESPN. He has filmed all over the world and has won numerous awards, including the Clio Award, Chicago Film Festival Award, the London Advertising Award, and multiple top 10 Super Bowl ads, including the number one Super Bowl ad in 2016, starring Kevin Hart and directed by Peter Berg. Get ready for entertainment and learning from Harry Lowell. Harry, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well that's a great intro thanks for having me lewis and damn harry lowell sounds great i have no idea that much research is out there on me
0: you want to meet that guy don't you
1: damn he sounds it's like he never gets a break
0: i'm telling you and you, then then you should sign him up <laughs> <laughs> so where was this harry lowell born
1: well i grew up in chicago i had a great blue collar background upbringing and a A tough city with a lot of tough weather and a great place to grow up, especially when you learn to be a a scrapper and a hard worker.
0: You grew up in the town of the Hawk,
1: right? Uh, I haven't heard that. Are you teaching me something new about my favorite city who can't seem to beat Green Bay right now?
0: Well, the Hawk is the wind in Chicago. The Windy City, right? You're known as the Windy City.
1: Oh, yeah. The Windy City. It's all about the people it's all about the dialogue at that, that windy city thing we went go downtown all the time and learn about all the Everyone's everyone standing up on their on their soapboxes and having the dialogue and yeah it was it was, it's a great city with great history uh, great architecture it's a, it's a really fascinating city built by big thinkers and hard workers you know cuz it's a really tough and tumble city i love it
0: big thinkers hard workers and smart gangsters <laughs>
1: well i don't know how smart but definitely gangsters
0: by the way, uh, yeah, Lou Rawls, uh, when he was singing, mm. sang a song about Chicago, and, you know, we talked about the hawk. That's what they call the uh, the wind there. But uh, also from your city is uh, one of America's greatest playwrights, uh, David Mamet. Yeah,
1: and love I, his stuff.
0: Well, you know that he has a novel now, and guess what it's called?
1: I did not know he had one. All about the city, huh?
0: It's called Chicago. Simple. Look it up. It's available now.
1: I'm learning a ton already.
0: (laughs) So who would you say influenced you the most when you were a child?
1: Uh, Influenced me the most? I would say it was my, you know, and again, this isn't a cliche answer, but my mom and dad, especially my dad, because... uh, you know, he was an incredibly hard worker, and he was a great craftsman. So he worked in the factory and, uh, you know, said to me he didn't have a lot of opportunities or or choices when he was growing up. And he always wanted to encourage me to, you know, follow your dreams, do what you want to do, don't follow what everyone else is doing, and, you know, find your passion, which was really great. And he was a factory worker, a welder. He also was a photographer just for himself. Uh, he was a great craftsman, a woodworker. He still is, and it's what's amazing about him is that he always showed me, you know, you can have, you know, Feed your creative side. Try to do something you love to do, so you don't have to work a day in your life. And that's a very cliche thing, but it really stuck with me because when you grow up in Chicago, especially in, we moved out to the suburbs, it's a difficult kind of rough existence. And you know, having aspirations to do entertainment and television is there's not a lot of support there for that. So. My dad would come home from a, a hard day in the, in, you know working at the factory, and he'd be my cameraman, and he would help me set up crazy shots, and we'd film little things in the backyard. And it was just great to have that kind of uh, 100% trust and support to, to tell me, yeah, that's what you want to do. You go for that. That's so they never wavered in that support or that direction.
0: That's wonderful. So yeah. when you were a kid, did you have a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: Yeah, I think I was very fortunate because I knew – really early on, you know, my mom tells a funny story that, you know, I used to run around, uh, when I was really young uh, around the television, you know, in the living room with this really loud play lawnmower and just making all kinds of noise while I was trying to watch the, you know, six o'clock news. But every time the commercials would come on, I would stop and I'd be mesmerized watching the television. So I thought it was really fascinating. Even then television uh, storytelling really grabbed me. And so whenever, as I grew and I started watching more television series. Um, you know, you, you could scream my name and if I was in the middle of watching a show or something, I couldn't hear you. I was so engrossed in that moment and I just knew like those, that's what I want to be involved with. Something that's so, you know, they can take a very dismal, cold, gray day in Chicago and I can be filled up or terrified or electrified from someone's story on this little box. I'm like, how can I be a part of this? I want to be a part of that storytelling. And so early on, my parents were scraping together money to get me video cameras and let me kind of live out my, you know, what I just it wasn't even necessarily a thought that this is what I want to do for a living, but I just couldn't stop myself.
0: That's fabulous. So how did you eventually move into a career in entertainment?
1: You know, coming from my my background, we didn't have anyone in the industry or anyone in entertainment or as an entrepreneur even that could help me get that guidance. So I thought, you know, the only place to go if you're going to be a producer is California. So as soon as I Uh, graduate high school i moved out to california and i had some really wonderful people who were phenomenal mentors to me back before they even had the word mentor but they were just wonderful people who uh really took notice that i was just working as hard as i could i was i felt like you know no matter how difficult the project was i was just living my dream just to be able to be in california and work with anything from my college days to uh, my first advertising gig but we had wonderful people who um allowed me to kind of grow. And the first one was a college professor who helped me get an internship at an ad agency. And that's what really sparked uh, my career move. So it was mm. phenomenal. And that was uh, uh, Mr. Bloom from Cal State LA. Uh, that's all I could afford to go to school. And he was phenomenal. And then at that ad-, ad agency, I met some amazing people who just you know, didn't have to, but took me under the wing, saw how hard I worked. You know, I'd be sometimes sleeping at the ad agency. I got an internship doing editing for them. And, you know, just took that opportunity and ran with it because I didn't know what else to do. And I thought, my gosh, I'm working on great stuff. So I just ran and ran and sometimes sleeping overnight there. And they'd come in the next day and I'm in the same outfit and I hadn't gone home. And they really, you know, wonderful people like Pat Shields and Sue Butterworth took notice of that and gave me a chance and said, no, I want this kid to produce this next job. And I want this kid to edit this presentation. And, you know, it was you know, hard work, the things my parents had instilled in me really paid off, and uh, I never felt like I was working. I just felt so lucky and thankful that someone would give me a chance to have the keys to the edit bay, and I could actually edit footage that was beautiful and phenomenal, and I just felt so privileged to to get a chance to do it, and I've never really lost that, you know, that feeling, thanks to my parents and, and that upbringing, and I, I still feel lucky today that people pay me to do this. It's amazing.
0: I can hear it in your voice. It's the, uh, <laughs> you, you can't hide that. What what obstacles did you have to overcome to really start succeeding?
1: Well, you know, Lewis, you and I were talking earlier about, you know, different career paths, and I think there's no clear path for a producer or a director or an actor. You know, if you decide you want to be an architect, you go to architectural school, you get your degree, and at some point you can move to different countries and different cities even, and you will get to be an architect. Will you be a Uh, a geary you know maybe not but you will get to fulfill your 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 goal it's very difficult in acting and producing to say how how there's no clear path school doesn't make it sometimes relationships don't make it so you really have to kind of forge your own way and i think for me the obstacles became positive things but i think the the toughest one was coming out to california without anyone out here without any money you know we were we were very um you know, middle class, and I didn't have the, the the money, I didn't have really anyone to help me with the business experience. So not understanding how to navigate that world was definitely, you know, I bumped my head a lot. I think uh, there was a period of time, too, where the money and the passion kind of collided, where when I first moved out here, I was homeless for a very brief period of time. And, you know, it just really reinforced in me that, you know, do I really want to do this? Is this what I want to do? And that's, you know, that's when it helped me understand this is what i live for and so when you are that far down and you have to realize you know it's it's you know i I decided that my work was more important than the money and i think the work that i was doing was what i lived for and i realized yeah this is what i want to do i'm gonna make this work and i stopped thinking about money i stopped thinking and worrying about money i just focused on what it is i loved because at the time i couldn't figure out how to pay my bills when i'm you know taking night jobs and trying to, you know, get into the edit bay and do things. So I said, screw it. If I have to choose between money and and editing, I'm just going to go edit. I'm going to go have a great time. I'm going to sleep in the edit bay, and that's what I'm going to do. And that really paid off because uh, another great thing I learned from a great mentor was, you know, um, do the work, put in the time, and the money will come. If you do it for the money, and that's what your motivation is, it's never going to be as fulfilling or rewarding, and you're always scraping for that dollar. But if you just throw yourself into what you believe, the money will come. Not may not come right away. Sometimes it comes immediately, but you know, I always felt really fulfilled, and I had to choose at that point, and I chose my career. And the feeling I get when I edit, when I were working, when we're producing, and at that time, it really just filled me up, and I didn't worry about the other stuff. And then it worked itself out which was very nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, Thankfully. Uh, it's a great story. What, what would you say is the most wonderful experience you've had in your career and, <laughs> and then also the worst?
1: Aye, yeah, aye. Ay. Uh, you know, I don't know that I'm very much, you know, my wife, I'm sure, does not appreciate this, but I, I still am very much a kid, so I don't know that I've had the most wonderful on anything because I always think it's the next thing that's coming up, you know? I think whatever I'm working on right now is the most wonderful thing. And then, All of a sudden, something else glistens in the corner. I'm like, oh, that's the most wonderful thing. So, that's, I think for me, is that it's the constant unknown about this industry. So, the most wonderful thing is that I have not been locked into one direction, you know, not just comedy or not just uh, heavy storytelling or long format or, or commercial advertising work. I think I've had a chance to do a little bit of everything, and my short attention span, that makes it great for me. So, I think that's been the. The, the most wonderful thing is that I've been able to play in a lot of different mediums. And what was your question about the worst, the worst experience or the worst?
0: Yeah. The worst experience. I mean, you know, <laughs> in the entertainment world, I mean, some, yeah. you know, mm. any, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I've got, yeah. Well, I would say the worst one, I, I'm a big believer in, and I, and I, again, I learned this from Susan Butterworth, who was an amazing, uh, creative director, uh, mentor, just great business person too. Um, but I learned that being a part of a team, you know, especially as a producer and your collaboration is more important than the individual. And it makes it so much more fun and exciting when are, your ego's been removed and you can let this gal make a great decision and this dude make a great call. And you're not threatened or challenged by any of that, but now the project's getting better and stronger by adding these people and these individuals to, the, to each one of the, the projects. And so I think for me, having that, understanding really made a difference because one of the biggest and worst mistakes i'd ever made was i hired this director that uh, his reel was amazing i loved some of the stuff on it and i was desperate to work with him and so without checking on who he was as a human being uh, i went ahead and we, we, we hired him and at one point it was contentious on the set and he storms off like some big hollywood movie and i had to you know i've never been that angry and you know, it put me in a whole new category of how to deal with Hollywood. And it was just miserable. And I realized at that point, you just taught me a big lesson about making sure that you check people who are who not only creatively they can execute, but who they are as people. Do they fit into your collective of people you're putting together to tell the story? And so that biggest mistake, which was you know, I agonized over it, you know, because it was it was a mess. It was a financial mess. It was a creative mess. It was a, a, a political mess. But I didn't sleep for days and weeks after that because it was so, you know, catastrophic. But I realized later, oh, my gosh, he taught me the best lesson ever. And I've never experienced that again on purpose. I have made sure to avoid that. But uh, that feeling never left me. You know, mm. this this process is really, really important that Everyone pulls their weight, and everyone does their thing, and you keep everyone focused in one direction. And if you have one bad apple, it really does, you know, can upset it. And with, as you know, Lewis, TV is not is, is made up of a dozens, if not hundreds, of really great, talented people who all need to be pulling in the same direction. Or, you know, it, it, any one of those things can make it fall apart—from a composer to a, a director, of photography to a writer to an actor. Any one of those wrong decisions can ruin a project that you put a year of your life into.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true.
1: Or they can make it spectacular and amazing and the experience is something you cherish and remember. And then you see it on film and you're like, wow, that is better than I ever pictured it in my mind two years ago. And now look at what we see. And that's my favorite part is when you do hire the right people, it's the opposite feeling where you're like, oh, my gosh, that decision, that line reading, this piece of music. You know, wouldn't have happened had we not gotten those people and given them some freedom to try and flex their muscle, sometimes pull them back a little bit.
0: Yeah, beautiful. What what lessons have you learned in entertainment that apply to all business ventures, Harry?
1: Mm, that's a great question. I think the one thing that uh, that overlaps in all businesses, you know, no matter what your business is, is relationships, right, with your clients, whether that's a studio or a network or an advertising agency. Um, I think the one thing that's been really powerful for me is being able to have a relationship with crew and directors and clients so that you have a, a, an understanding and a trust factor where you can come back to each other time and time again and say, you know, let's do this again. Not only was the project executed the way it should be, everyone felt great about the project and the timeline and the budget, but we also had a good time. You know, it wasn't painful. It wasn't uh, confrontational. You know, I love a really fun, engaging set. You know, even it, whether it's advertising or television, where everyone feels like they've contributed to the success of what's happening there. And so, you know, I would say uh, sometimes people don't spend the time to make clients partners, and I think that's a, a mistake. I think because I've had a a lot of great clients who have been with me and, and moved from one studio to the next network and have called on me, thankfully, and, and trusted to say, "Hey, now I'm doing this. You want to do something else?" And I really am thankful for that. And I'm thankful that you know there's a lot of producers, right? Uh, you know, to, that can do my job. There's a lot of directors that can do other people's jobs. But sometimes you just want that personality plus that creative ability. And so I think that's the one thing that, that transfers over is turning clients into partners and that you guys trust each other, that makes a great career.
0: Well, as you know, uh, right now, the climate in the entrepreneurial world especially is that relationship currency is the highest, Um, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest assets you can have. Um, That's why you get a company like, is it Zappos? That does so well because of... Was it Tony Hsieh? Is his his ability to build really spectacular relationships not only with customers and clients, but with the people who work for him? So that's that's um, a great insight. What what would you say is the biggest obstacle to having a great life in business?
1: Oh, in business. Uh, well, look. I, I think as as an entrepreneur, I think. Um, you know, time is, uh, something that is really valuable, you know, and you come to value it more and more as you, as you change your personal life as well. So the balance of your business life and your success and the satisfaction you get from that and your personal life, I think it's all about the amount of time because, you know, I can get very caught up in what I'm working on. And when my wife and I decided we were going to, before we had, uh, children, she would fly with me and travel with me on shoots and, you know, we could do that kind of stuff. And then once you have a, a child or you're planning to, we had to say, hey, we're going to have to change some of our clients and some of the work that we do because we're going to need to adapt to where we are now in our lives. And I think that, uh, you know, time was always the when – you're, when you're passionate about something, time is always the, the struggle because you want to put time into both things, everything you love, and the two biggest circles for me are family and work. And you have to find a way to to make sure you balance it out as best you can. And this industry is, you know, Lewis, like you know, it's tough. There's a lot of late night shoots or you have to shoot it in Australia for financial reasons or you have to work around someone's schedule. So, you know, you have to be flexible and you have to, you know, make sacrifices on both ends to make sure that it all works. And then my wife's been great at being able to be such a big part of making our family so strong. And, and we did change when my son was born. We changed Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in evaluating where you are right now. You know, I don't like to plan for future stuff that much, which again, annoys my wife, but it makes me very alert and aware of what's going on uh, right now, i very much in the present, and so when we decided to have a kid, I said I- I'm going to have to change some of these international clients and find some that are local because I want to be able to be home for dinners and you know be the dad that my dad was when, especially when I was young. You know, he was always home. And then as my son grew, and now he's getting to be a teenager, so much easier for he and I to Skype and chat. And I think that's one of the best things is that now with him growing and having other ways to communicate, I can take some more projects that allow me to travel for a week or two and. You know, and it's it's he and I, you know, have been able to adjust our business and our personal life, and as long as you constantly keep evaluating them, I think you can constantly make your life balance work. But you've got to be aware on a moment-to-moment basis where you are in your in your personal world. But time is always the the obstacle. Because I got to tell you, I I could do this shit all day. I love it.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> what is the What are the steps to go from being an employee to an entrepreneur?
1: Mm. Okay. I'm trying to think back when I did my thing. I think, uh, you know, my process was be super poor and it doesn't matter. So you don't have anywhere to fall. So go for it early on. And and, uh, that's not great advice because most people aren't at that place. I had really great advice from Pat Shields who said, you know, if you want to be a producer – you need to get on the producer train because right now, Harry, when I was first hired, they hired me to do editorial. And they are very happy with my editorial work. And he goes, but if you want to be a producer, you're going to have to start back at square one on that train. So move over as quickly as you can. So what I always say to people is if you, you really have a passion to be an entrepreneur, one thing you should do, is, you, especially if you have, are already an employee and you, you've got a lot of things established, mortgages and car pay, payments, is you've got to save up money and put money aside so you feel – in your head that you have a cushion, right? The second thing I always do is a lot of research, and that's my OCD. So I love to just do research. Like, well, what's it going to be like in that new career I'm looking for, that new business? Like, what are people saying about it? And I love the, the uh, there's so many ways to look that up, from LinkedIn to uh, TED Talks. You can look up and really find people who are, Living the entrepreneurial life you want and find out what they did to get there and what they're not just the good stuff, but what was the stuff they're struggling with and what is the stuff they hate, but they have to take care of it. And uh, that even goes to the point where meeting people and talking to some people who have an inspiration to you in that business you're going to find out what they hate and love. So, you as you're saving your money, you're building up your excitement and also understanding what it's going to be like because they're going to like any job, even working for yourself, there's stuff you hate to do and there's stuff that you love to do. And You just want to make sure that the majority of the stuff you're doing is the stuff you love, because you, a business can quickly go the other way. If you start ending up having to do 80% of the stuff you can't stand, having a business of your own is not very beneficial. So I think doing that research, having some money in the bank, is really uh, important, and talking to some people so you understand what it is you're walking into. But also, if there's a way, and sometimes there's just no way to do it, but I think that most of the time, there's a way to start a, a side hustle that you can dip your toe into what you're looking to do, right? Uh, I've had friends who have even said, I'm going to work part-time for this guy so I can understand. I had a friend who wanted to start a restaurant. It had nothing to do with being a restaurateur, uh, but that's been his dream. And he's like, I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm, I'm going to go for it. And so he kept his day job, took a night job at this restaurant, basically shadowed with this wonderful uh, chef. Learned ins and outs of it, you know, put in the time he needed for six months or so while he saved up money and felt ready to go and do it. And it was a very big career change for him. But it was the kind of thing where he's like, you know, I might start with a, you know, a small truck and do it on the weekends and then open up a restaurant. But I do like looking at that side hustle nowadays is so much bigger. You know, the freelance side hustle world could be a really great way to dip your toe in to see if this is really what you want and what you expected before you take the plunge
0: great advice at the beginning of this you started by saying that basically it's it's good if you limit the amount of money you have right
1: i don't think i said that i i had limited money um you know i I don't think about the money i think more about what i'm trying to achieve you know so i i used to worry about when money started coming in and i was and when i didn't have any money and I was homeless, and I started making money. I was super focused on, and I was, uh, I was on staff. Uh, something weird happened. One day, I remember coming in, and some of the people in the office were complaining. And they were saying, oh, how come this guy gets to park on the fourth floor, and all of us have to park in the basement and walk up? And I started thinking, yeah, what the hell? How come I got to park in the basement and walk up? And then someone said, how come his office has a window and mine doesn't? And I thought, yeah. Yeah. How come my office doesn't have a – and then I realized, I'm like, wait, I didn't get into this business for a parking space or a window. I got into this because I wanted to tell stories, and I started realizing that you know, some people had given up on their vision for what they wanted in their career and instead focused on what the company could give you in exchange. And so what was happening is they were no longer being fulfilled – Instead, they had to find other ways. They needed bonuses. They needed window offices. They needed other things. And I started to realize, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm fighting for all the wrong things. I said, I was homeless a few months ago, and now I'm pissed because i got to walk up two stairs. And I thought I'm getting farther and farther away from what it is that I love. And that's when I ended up going, I think I want to go freelance. I think I want to put myself out there and try other – you know. It, it, trailers and films and other things and what could I do and that's that's what sparked me to suddenly come back to a realization that I should be thankful and grateful and pursue the stuff I love and not worry so much about the money so I didn't say I didn't want money because I do like it when it comes but uh I've been very successful and it's been really rewarding for me just to not focus on it though I focus on what I love to do and keeping clients and productions Happy and being proud of the stuff we're executing, and I found that that is the, for me, the success that then money does come, which is very nice.
0: Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I didn't for a moment think that you didn't like the money, but it was an attitude toward it, and uh, that helped you a lot. And what's interesting, mm-hmm. uh, you're quite blessed to have that inner guidance system that keeps you on track when you find yourself going off the track, and. When you said that about money, I immediately thought of, what's his name on Shark Tank? Is it Damon John? What's his name? The, the bald he, guy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's written a book called mm-hmm. the, Power, the Power of Broke.
1: Okay. I think my wife talks about that book. She, she's, yeah, Yeah.
0: And it's basically that lesson of to become resourceful and... Not to mm-hmm. see the lack of money as an obstacle, but to see it as a, mm-hmm. as a, um, as an inspiration in a way, you know, and that's yeah. uh, that's a very very interesting thing. Just wanted to comment on, on a topic we were talking about briefly before about the balance of time, because what jumped to my mind is whenever I'm on a film shoot, and I'm blessed as an actor to when there's a wrap, I go home, but. I look at the techies, the people who do hair, who do makeup, who do wardrobe, and I go, how do they have a life? I mean, some of them, (laughs) during the duration of a shoot, they don't have a life. Yeah. They're basically Mm -hmm. there before everyone, and then they leave hours and hours after everyone, you know? True. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite an interesting challenge for a person's life.
1: Yeah, and I think it, it reminds me of a, an athlete's life, or you know, because you, your your career is very consuming, and when you're passionate about something, it's it's very rewarding. It fills you up, you know. You just have to make sure that you are, you know. I think that even when we decided to have kids, and my wife and I loved it because she came from advertising as well, so she understood the business, and you know, so we would go, I would travel, she'd come with me, we'd we'd be in Europe together and stuff, and it was great. And then as your life changes and you're like, ah, well now I got a son who's in school, you know, we're not able to do that. You know, you have to be able to, you know, and that's why I'm glad the money doesn't matter as much to me because I definitely had to take a, you know, turn down some jobs which were very difficult for me to do because when you're homeless and when you're poor and you come from that mentality, you're very thankful for every job. So turning stuff down is very difficult. It taught me another lesson too though which is to, you know, showcase to my son, like, you know, follow your dreams, follow what, you know. Aim high and shoot for that kind of stuff. So it, 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 there was a period of time where I definitely had different clients and less clients and turned down some jobs because I really wanted to be. I didn't want to ever regret something like being a father or being at home. Um, you know, seeing him in his recitals and doing things. And I, I, I love the relationship we have. And I think that it was important that, you know, at that time, that's what I needed to do. And I wouldn't have felt good if I had chosen one over the other. And so I never look back and go, did I? miss an opportunity or waste time, I feel like that gave me another chance to grow and be a different kind of person. And then when it came from that, having a son inspired me to say, I really want to do some powerful things that he will look at and say, well, my dad is doing what he's using his skills to, you know, be happy and fulfilled. And it it gave me a new momentum when I did go back in and say, let's go get some of the bigger stuff because I can can be gone for a week or two now. I, I won't feel, you know, he and I can talk and Skype and do things. And, uh, it renewed my love of different kinds of shows even, you know, and it, it was really great if you're open and to that experience and not focused on just, I need X amount of money all the time. You know, my wife was great. She hunkered down and, you know, we made things simpler, but it was great because we didn't have to worry about things. Uh, and then when I was able to do other projects more money came in and it was very freeing, but I I love that I, I had a new momentum going forward. My son inspired me to do different things with my career I'm really happy that I got to show him some really funny Super Bowl commercials because I love comedy stuff uh, powerful things that are important some you know mini documentary things that I really was proud of that he could look at and go yeah he's using his skills and he's doing something great and I think that gives him encouragement for you know his dreams and his goals
0: what uh, I want to mention to our storytellers listening pick up from Harry's mindset That he's driven by intangibles, and that's what keeps him alive and in integrity with himself, and that in turn brings the money. He's always been, you you seem to be a person who's driven by the intangibles, and that's fabulous, because not everyone is. Not everyone is.
1: I was very fortunate with that, you know, I think my parents instilled that we had a lot of great memories to share because we didn't have a lot of money to do crazy things What we did do is we found ways to you know we did bonfires and we would chop down a tree and do something so those memories those events those things that we did together were way more satisfying to me than if they'd said hey here's 20 bucks go do whatever when we got to you know it it was and again same thing with with television i am inspired by what i get to work on and who i get to work on it with and i still feel like that little kid from chicago who's like, are you kidding me that we get to work with this guy and that girl and this person and that that team? So it is a, a privilege. And I think that uh, it's so much easier to enjoy your life when you're doing something like that that you love.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. So how do you craft the perfect pitch for anything you want to sell or achieve? <laughs>
1: uh, it's funny, you and I talked about that. And I actually have and I, this I learned from advertising, and this was amazing because it applies to every aspect of my life. And my wife is the one who basically taught it to me. Lisa uh, broke it down one day, and I thought, "My gosh, that's a genius!" And you can—I saw how it all came come together. And I said, "Yeah, this is exactly right." Um, I think I have like a in my head. There's, if I had to break it down, there's a few things that I think everyone has to do if you're pitching anything to anyone. And the first thing I always say to people is. Uh, you have to change your mindset that the, when you're pitching, it's not about you. It's about them. You need to find out what they want. And it's not about you standing up and doing a soft shoe dance and hope that they like something. So when you change your mindset to go, okay, wait a minute, this meeting's about them and their needs, not about me. It changes your whole perspective. Um, the other thing I always do is it's all about research for me. I want to make sure I research the company, the person, the individual Uh, So I have knowledge before I go in as to understanding whether what I've got to sell, if it's a goods or a service or a TV show or a pitch, that I know that they may be interested in looking at this. I check in on people around them so I don't come in wasting anyone's time, theirs or mine. Um, And then I think the big thing for me about crafting a pitch is that before you say anything about what you're there to talk about, you need to qualify what it is this person in front of you, what they need. And so you ask questions. And they come back and they tell you, because you you literally ask them, like, "What, what are you guys looking for? What's been working for you? What's not working for you? I read in the news this happened. How did that affect you guys? That seems like it really sucked or that was a great addition. But you start them talking and understanding. So now I'm understanding this person in front of me, this client, this partner, and they're telling me literally what they are looking for, what they're not looking for, and I'm learning how they like to communicate. You know The way they communicate to me. Some people talk fast. Some people are very slow and thoughtful. But I see how they communicate, and now I understand how they want to hear the information. So finally, after I've done the research and we've qualified them and they've talked about things, I now have a clear picture whether what I brought in to talk about is even worthwhile discussing because sometimes it's not. And then when it comes my turn to actually talk to them, in my head what I think is, how can I help this client, this partner across from me? So I got this pitch that I, I see what you're looking for. Is there a way for me to take the thing that I was there to discuss or the one or two things and see if any of them are pertinent and are valuable and can I phrase it in a way that solves the need that they just told me? And that changes the whole dynamic, right? Because now I'm not just randomly selling something and hoping you buy my vacuum cleaner but you told me that you're having a hard time because you just lost your maid and you don't have time to do anything and I'm like, perfect, I'm here at the right time. Or if you tell me you just bought... The brand new, the biggest vacuum on the planet. I know that this is not the right time for me to to go into my spiel and waste your time. And the last thing I always do is, um, and you and I talked about this, lewis is follow up. I think it's really important that people uh, continue to have a relationship and follow up. And, and even if there's no deal to be had, you thank them. You keep a relationship going because, uh, and if it does go well, also keep up, get the relationship. Because I think it's important that everyone. Um, have a relationship and work together more than just getting that sale or close that deal or strong arm someone. I never believe in that. I'd rather have someone who said, "Hey, this guy had a great idea. It didn't work out, but I could work with him." I think there's a relationship we could form here because that usually works out more than me trying to jam a concept down someone's throat and then they ha- they're turned off by the tactic. I would rather them they move from HBO to Disney and many other times. And so maybe there's no deal to be had at HBO. They move somewhere else and suddenly like, hey. You know what? I loved when you came and pitched to me. Come and talk to me. Now I've got the right venue for some of that content. And next thing you know, that great you know, relationship-building meeting turns into something else down the road. And I think that's important in the pitch is that you have to understand you may not sell right then, but try to build that relationship that's way more valuable. A relationship that lasts three, five, ten years, way more valuable than the single sale today.
0: It's great advice, and what I'm hearing is that it begins and ends with uh, caring for and respecting people basically yeah. that's it, you know mm-hmm. um, putting them first, uh, extremely valuable in any line of business agree. in life, period. I mean um, <laughs> yeah, so
1: I, I always say by the way, when they say that stuff about the pitching, People ask me that all the time, like that, what are your kind of rules for pitching television and stuff? I said, well, it goes beyond that. It goes to, you know, pitching your wife. Like, I'd like to remodel this living room. Well, you better be ready to have a dialogue with her, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, pitching your son on what you're going to do over the summer break when he really wants to do something else. So I think in general, it's just a good way to think about communicating with anyone. Yeah. Family, friends, yeah. business, it's all kind of the same. It's a relationship.
0: Absolutely. Now, you are passionate about storytelling. How important is storytelling for an entrepreneur?
1: Well, like we said, even with the pitching, I think it's important 100% because everyone has a client, no matter who you are. There's a client, there's a customer, um, and I, I, same with the family. You know, you have your wife and your friends. I think being a good storyteller uh, means also listening, it's not just taking the floor and taking it over, but being a good storyteller is, uh, is vital because people... Get a sense to know who you are and trust you, and you, you can take them down that path. And they go, you know, what? I see where you're going. I like how you're putting it out there. I like how you're incorporating me into your story. This is a relationship I want to continue to have, whether it's a neighbor or a business person. But I think, uh, you know, especially in in certain businesses, you know, where you're much more face to face with individuals, being a good storyteller makes them want to say, you know, and I always believe when you're pitching with clients that relationship is so crucial and that is storytelling helps form that relationship i don't i don't think you can especially in a creative element you have to be engaging and there's nothing you force it some people are very low-key some people are very high energy the point is as long as you communicate in our storyteller the way you can t- t- tell the story and and give and take and i think the more comfortable you are to do that in your own voice the better
0: yeah, well, you're definitely speaking to the converted here I mean'm I'm, a, I'm a, you know I, I'm a storytelling addict and uh, there is no uh, and I do not want rehabilitation so they, there <laughs> well we you've go. got
1: the pipes for it too my, my friend I, I love your voice and your quality so um, you know you've got a whole different set so when you and I talk you crack me up because you've got you, you throw your New York accent in when you need to you've got a very confident swagger about certain things, and it's a very fun, you know, conversation whenever we talk.
0: Thank you, Harry. It's called arrogance. <laughs> 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 oh, we have to have fun. What, a little bit. What are the biggest no-nos to successful networking and career building?
1: Uh, you know, I, I, I guess, especially in my industry, I see a lot of people instead of um, being thankful or supportive of collaborative work, instead what they're doing is bragging and showboating. And I think for, for us in the industry, I think uh, the people who are more under... As crazy and big and award-showy and glitzy and glamorous as, as entertainment can appear, I think it's the people in the industry that, that ask for the least amount and who don't demand it, they get the most respect from the, their, their peers. you know. And I think that when you are... Constantly bragging or showboating or uh, putting out that kind of stuff, especially on social media, I think it's a it's a big turnoff because it showcases that you're not your where your focus is. You know, if your focus is on the limousines and that kind of stuff, you, you can look through someone's scroll and you're like, yeah, that's what they're focused. You can tell. You know, I've always said this about people too is I never liked uh, going to the Emmys or that kind of stuff. It makes you know it's not my it's not my jam. I love making this stuff. That's the, the the premium parties and those kinds of things. Uh, my wife likes those, and so I go because I know she likes that stuff. Um, but I think people sometimes put too much emphasis on the the glamorous rewards that people can have, and that showcases in in social media. And I think if you're, uh, you know, having if you're working your employees to the death, and then there's photos of you getting on your private plane, I don't think that that's very conscientious. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think you have to be aware of your image nowadays. Because while we're all proud of what we've been able to achieve, and we're all proud of what we're able to do, sometimes it comes across. And I think social media is like an email sometimes hard to understand the tone at which you said it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think for
1: me, I'm, you know, I try to be very cautious about, you know, engaging in a, in a in a certain way, but not, not trying to. You know, my intent is not to make someone else feel bad or to judge against it. And I think that's a lot of what I see in the internet now is. Everyone having uh, the perfect life at all times, and I don't think that's truly possible.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you're you're bang on. I mean, and that's Mm. and and some kids, unfortunately, who fall into the trap of comparing their lives to uh, what they see on social media, end up in depression and suicide. That's a whole other thing. But you know, when you were talking before about the no-nos, you made me think. When I first started my journey, my first acting class at the Herbert Berghoff Studios in New York, I had a great acting teacher. In fact, the guy's still there. And he he said something that I've never forgotten because I had never heard that before. He said, acting, great acting is an act of generosity. And I'm going, wow.
1: That's beautiful.
0: He said, yeah, because it's not about the performance, you know, how dynamic you can be. It's about how you can serve the scene in a play and serve your partner by listening and responding truthfully. And Mm. that was like, whoa, what what a
1: thing. That gives me goosebumps when I I hear that. I
0: know. And it's it's the truth. If you watch the truly, you'll love this. There was a a play by Lamford Wilson called Burn This, and I was fortunate to see the Broadway production with two Chicago actors, John Malkovich and, and Joan Allen, and both incredibly gifted and generous actors. And then a year later, I saw it again. And I'm not going to mention the actor's name because he is. (laughs) Listen, he's he's a good actor. But what I noticed was he gave a very dynamic performance that was electric, but it was disconnected from the other people on stage. It was all about, look at what an incredible performer I am, as opposed to losing himself as the character serving the play and yeah. it was just a world of difference and so for me Malkovich rose 10 steps above in terms of greatness as a as an actor you know
1: oh man I love those story. I love that quote I mean I grew up in Chicago as well and improv is such a big part of that city mm-hmm. you know you go and see Second City and you would go with your friends and see the smaller and the bigger stages. And what the the one thing that was great is that you would learn when you, you took the classes, you do this stuff, is that you know, improv is all about sharing. I have to sometimes give you a line until you get the punchline, but i got to set you up. And sometimes you have to set me up. And when I'm struggling, I need to look in your eyes and know you're going to pick me up and carry me because I can't figure out where to go next. And what's great about that improv is you'll feel very connected to that person on stage with you because at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to get through it. and You're not going to get a laugh if the two of you don't just be honest and be in the moment and you can't be about you and it can't be about them. It has to be about what we're doing right now. And you have to give and take. And that is what makes great improv seem so effortless is because they are amazing givers and, and they know when it's their turn to take something and you have to be able to do that back and forth. And I think that's my favorite thing about my job. And this came from Susan Butterworth. Again, one of my mentors is that I love the collaboration of seeing a team of people, really talented people, come together and do something. And and everyone's adding their little chips. And you're like, I would have never thought of that. And the lighting guy coming up with something crazy. And you're like, I would have never thought of that. And it's so rewarding if you get your ego out of the way and step back and go, let them do their thing. This is why we hired them, you know? And sometimes you have to step in and, okay, that's a little too far. Let's, Let's pull that back a bit. But, you know, the reason you hire great people is to, enjoy and learn and and susan never had an ego about anything any idea from any person would come up and she would say i like that let's go do that and she would give credit to people you know i've been in rooms where people have said look at the edit i did and you know for a fact that person didn't do that edit and susan butterworth was the kind of person who would say i love this edit that lisa did wait till you guys see what we have here and she was so confident in her skill sets and so giving to her team that we all felt like we would just do anything and fall on the sword for her because she was so, and we felt encouraged to try and what else could we do to you know to add to this level? But it made the set, the editorial, everything so collaborative. And when you remove your ego, it's so fun.
0: Yeah, you're you're again bang on. And uh, the the person that I was mentioning before who gave me that gift by making that comment. His name is is Michael Beckett, Michael Beckett, Mm -hmm. and he's also an actor. I mean, he occasionally shows up in some pretty big feature films. Okay, it's confession time. Michael, what has been your biggest mistake? Uh,
1: Well, I think I already told you that. Wait a minute.
0: I just called you Michael.
1: I know that I I, I was a really good guy. I mean, I'm going to take it because I was thinking of
0: Michael Beckett. No. Uh, (laughs) So Harry, what is, what has been your biggest mistake?
1: Uh, Well, again, I I think I already chatted about it, but it was hiring someone without, you know, uh, through my ego and wanting to really not check on the humanity of it or the collaboration. I didn't do the homework and uh, it was the most gut wrenching, awful experience hiring the wrong person, with the wrong attitude. Um, There are too many talented people in the industry to have to put up with a douchebag. And uh, I learned that lesson the hard way. And it was horrible. It was a very difficult, me not sleeping for a long time. uh, But that was the first time I'd really been played by a Hollywood game Mm. where they thought they were going to just roll over me. And really up until then I had never had to face that, nor had I ever had to have the other side, my Chicago side ever had to come out where luckily i didn't freeze in in uh you know because it was terrifying to be honest but luckily what took over was anger and the the disrespect of this guy storming off the set and leaving us and that's when i went into a crazy mode and he actually taught me a ton about the depth and my comfort level in crazy situations and it made me you know my dad has this amazing gift where crazier a situation is the more dangerous or out of control something's happening the calmer my dad is
0: wow what you just told me about your father is beautiful he's a wizard i'll tell you why i took a course called enlightened wizard and the first declaration was i am the eye of the storm i stay calm and centered regardless Mm. of anything that's your dad
1: no, oh, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful sentiment. And I got to live it firsthand. And I saw magic watching how calm he was in those situations. And uh, your words sum it up perfectly. That that was my dad. It was a great inspiration to me. And it taught me that after all those years of watching my dad handle things so calmly and so beautifully, no matter what came at him, uh, I realized that I had that ability inside of me. And that was the first time it was really tested. And I just flashback to my dad and i thought wow you know uh, he's passed on something really important to me and i hope that someday i can share that with my son he sees that through osmosis
0: that's really really a wonderful gift that he gave you Mm. so now let's ask what is your greatest achievement (laughs) terry
1: uh you know what's funny is i think for me it's not a singular thing i think my greatest achievement was able to be independent and be freelance for the majority of my career and I think that's given me a chance to work on some really unique projects rather than get pigeonholed which I you know Lewis how people do that you know you're a gangster for this role and now suddenly you're a gangster all the time so it was nice for people to do television or uh, do commercial stuff do Super Bowl things do comedies and, and you know uh, important storytelling so I loved to be able to have the flexibility and the freedom and that people gave me a chance to do things that weren't necessarily uh, proven on my reel at that time, but they looked me in the eye and said, "Okay, let's." I think he's he can do it. Let's give it a chance. So I think the biggest achievement for me is getting the being freelance, being independent for so long, and being able to do such a variety of things and be trusted to to make that work. So I feel very lucky for that.
0: And uh, it is a marvelous achievement, and as you know, it's the dream of almost. Every entrepreneur. So Mm. what would you say are five tips to immediately improve a person's branding and messaging? Oof. Five tips. Um, They don't have to be five, but let's say even three uh, top tips, whatever.
1: Well, you know what? One thing I thought was really interesting, you and I had an offline conversation about even uh, your name and how you are perceived. And I think that, uh, you know, in the entertainment industry, people always change their name and and do things like that. I think you really have to take a look at who you are and who you want to represent and who you want to be. Uh, we all have been given names and those names might not necessarily reflect who we are, but I think you have to really take a look at, um, if you, I always hear this too, is, you know, you want to fit into a tribe, right? So in entertainment, we have more flexibility in our clothing and what we wear and it, it helps identify who you are. I'm, um, I'm a big believer in being really comfortable and being able to express who you are and not trying to be someone different you know I see a lot of creative people trying to put on you know I'm gonna dress all reggae or I'm gonna dress so super cool I'm gonna be the hippest guy and I think one thing that helps with the branding is for you to uh, look around at the tribe and and the world that you want to be a part of and try to see how you fit into that world and that's saying change who you are but ultimately you know we all want to work with like-minded people I don't want to work with uh, an accountant who comes in with, you know, hair down to his knees and he's wearing, you know, shorts. I don't feel the confidence there. So I think that you have to understand how you're perceived and just take a quick look and go, Am I the person that they want to spend three million dollars or do this project with or I have to work with for the next year? Am I that person? And I think as an entrepreneur you have to look at that like you look at a logo or your office space or anything else. You should look at your personal side too. So I would say, you know, I loved your story about, you know, you found that you were getting uh, cast in too many roles where they considered you a Lou or a Louie. And so in order to get roles that weren't so, uh, you know, Italian or mafia-based things, you went with Louis. And I think that was a smart move that allowed you to open yourself up to other roles and other other characters you could play because you knew you could do it, but that might be holding you back. So I think evaluate your how you come across, evaluate your outfits. And I think really important nowadays is, uh, to take a look at your social media because people are going there. When I say I, I research the people I work with, especially when I'm filling big roles like directors and talent, you got to check their Facebook, you got to check their LinkedIn, you got to check their social media feeds because you really want to know well, what am I walking into, you know? And you need to look at all that with an open, objective mind and say, Hey, am I just a big braggadocious, uh, uh, you know, false individual here? Am I being too exposing? Am I? You know, what, how are people perceiving me? And I think that's an important element to, uh, as people become, again, I like partnerships. And I want to know that I can work with this person on a regular basis. Um, and I think it's all about subtle adjustments like that, that give you that leg so you can then, you know, achieve what you want.
0: I like that. That's really, really significant. So many people are totally mm-hmm. unaware of that. And they go on to Facebook or any of the social media and they just... Mm-hmm. Um, they're telling a story that is really not uh, empowering them at all, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree. You know? Right. Yeah. Harry. And it can very easily be misconstrued, too. It's like email. Sometimes I, you know, before I hit send, I struggle to make sure that it's not something that can be misrepresented when they read it. Because I've many a time misread an email thinking that there's going to be a problem only to understand, oh, if I read it in a different way, once I spoke to the person, it wasn't an issue. So... I agree that that you, you're telling a story, whether you think you are or not. So you need to look at the totality of that and see what kind of message you're putting out there.
0: You know, you reminded me of a, of a book, a little book that uh, was very popular about English grammar. And the title was Eat, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves.
1: Eats, Shoots, and Leaves.
0: Yeah, right. So yeah. think about that. Okay, so you write it down, eats, comma, shoots, comma, and leaves. And and what you've got is a person who comes in, eats a meal, shoots, and then leaves. But if you take out the comma after shoots, and you say the panda is an animal that eats, shoots, and leaves... Right. What a difference. Huge. <laughs> and it's just the comma. <laughs> yeah.
1: Little yeah. things, right? You got to pay attention to those things because they make a difference.
0: <laughs> I know. So, well, you know, this is perfect. I just mentioned the book. I was going to ask you, what is your favorite book?
1: Well, right now, uh, one of my favorite, it's a kid's author, and it's uh, a, a wonderful author is Antoinette Portis. And one of my favorite books from her that is, it's a kid's book. And it's one of the things that, you know, I shared with my son. And I just think it's a wonderful story. And it's one of the projects that we're working on. It's called A Penguin Story. And she has these, her her illustrations are beautiful, but her storytelling is incredibly simplistic. And a lot of it's told in picture. And I think I love those kind of blendings where um, simple words with very simple pictures and yet so much meaning connected in there. And it's very Simple and sparse, very limited color palette because the story is all about kind of finding color. Uh, just beautiful. And I love little things like that that inspire me. You mm. know, sometimes I don't have time to continue to read a long book, but I will pick up a you know a Dr. Seuss or other things like that that we have given to our son and find inspiration from those things again because I think sometimes the best um, little insights in life are found in those kind of preschool and younger kids books because it's. How can you hone down uh, a thought for someone younger? And I think that they do it really well. Antoinette Portis is just a master at that.
0: Beautiful. Thanks for sharing. I'm actually going to look that up. What what, what is your favorite quote?
1: Uh, Well, you know what? I think I I say this to my son all the time, and I'm pretty sure it's Michael Jordan, where, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I think that's one of my favorite uh, quotes. And that's something I got from my parents, because when you're, uh, especially when I first moved here, when you're poor and you don't have any, and and you just are, you know, living and breathing your dream, you're just so excited to be here. You just do everything. You don't know enough. I was, I wasn't smart enough to understand that, you know, me working all night and editing and then showing these big creative directors my edits was not the proper thing to do. It wasn't the right protocol. But I was fearless because I didn't know enough, which was great. And then even when I did know better, I still wasn't afraid to take the chance and every time i hesitated and didn't take that shot i paid a price it ne- it it i saw the results and i realized you got to take a chance and in this entertainment business as you know lewis nothing is guaranteed and it is a it no matter how thick a skin you have and i do not have a thick skin there's a lot of rejection there's a lot of uh nervousness and toe tapping and not so sure and indecision so you have to be prepared for a lot of no's or a lot of indecision. But I always feel like I gotta take the thing I believe in and try it. I gotta put it out there because it fulfills me either way. Whether someone believes in this vision or doesn't, I feel good that I put it out there and gave it a shot.
0: Mm, that is an important one. It's it's uh, it's a game changer. That's wonderful, mm-hmm. Harry. Where do you see yourself in five years?
1: <laughs> five years? Uh, I gotta tell you, to be honest, I don't plan that far ahead. And I don't, and it, my, it's to the detriment of my wife. She is not happy about that. But I think I, I live in the moment really well and that I don't, and I've always believed that I I should keep evaluating things. So I don't like to think today what I want to do five years or ten years from now because I things constantly evolve with your personal life, with your work life, with the industry in general, with the technology. So what happens is I, I sort of plan very small things because right now what works for my wife and my son and he's in high school is different than what's gonna work for me. And so rather than build towards something, I just continue to build today and make today and tomorrow the best it can be. That's as far as I can think ahead. Especially I feel so bad. My friends are always like, let's all meet and they'll say October twenty nineteen and I'm like, uh count me out. The minute I book a ticket, Lewis, or a trip, guaranteed a big project comes down. It's better for me to be finish on a Wednesday and say, who wants to meet me in Cabo? Let's go. That's the the unfortunate goods and bads of of my existence. And so whether it's good or bad, I I try not to think too far ahead. I like to just be in the moment now and see where it goes.
0: I love it. You know how an actor can get an audition if they haven't auditioned uh, in a while?
1: Mm -mm. Book a trip. I guarantee you. Yeah, no, well, I, it, it's I, true. It does happen. It's totally true. Yeah. <laughs> you're not you're, you're you're preaching to the choir. What I used to do when I when I first had when we first had our son, and I told you I had to change clients, so I had to turn down a lot of work. That was very exciting, but it would take me away too long. And so what I did was I'm like, shit, I need to get some work, and I can't seem to get it. My wife goes, go take a walk, and I would go take a uh, a hike, and and inevitably, while I'm out of breath, sweaty, you know, with bugs on me. I would get a call from Disney or from another client, guaranteed. And it was a joke we have She goes, go take a walk and get us some money. And that's how it worked. You can't think about it. You can't ask for it. You can't sit and stare at your computer or send out more, you know, LinkedIn requests. You just, that's not how it operates, is it? That's not the way karma is.
0: Mm. How old is your son, by the way?
1: Uh, he just turned 14. Mm. Big boy.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And what does he plan to do? Let's not. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say well, we, we can't extend it, because I know you're passionate about it. But, but in a nutshell, what does he plan to do?
1: Well, you know what's funny is he has the same passion and drive for singular topics like my dad had, and he passed it on to me with my fixation on entertainment and storytelling. My son absolutely is passionate and committed to sports, and specifically basketball. He just made the uh, Long Beach Poly. Uh, basketball team so that was a huge accomplishment that's a you know high division school and he worked his butt off uh, to get in there because he's got unfortunately my size so he had to really work hard to uh, hone his skills and he is just a passionate positive always playing basketball but he is also just a sports lover and that is his thing you know that you could tell early on that there was nothing he likes better than Uh, any sport at any time uh, and especially basketball and that's going to be his drive in life you can tell that's his motivation and that's what fills him up
0: it's fantastic and it's lovely that he's got supportive parents what's his name cooper cooper
1: named after the uh hockey equipment manufacturer because i was sure he was going to love hockey like i love hockey only to find out that he has zero interest in hockey. Of course, Uh Lewis, that's how it always goes. (laughs) I've got every piece of hockey equipment in every size, shape, and color. And uh, yeah, he wants to play basketball.
0: I got to throw in a a small piece of trivia because you said you love hockey. I starred for three years in an award-winning television series in Canada all about hockey called Rent a Goalie. It was a comedy. (laughs) And,
1: and, And listen...
0: Every week, awesome. every week we had a real hockey star and I got to be friends with Phil Esposito.
1: Oh my gosh, that's yeah. a Hall of Famer right there, my friend.
0: I know. Well, we had a lot of them on and it was wow. every week. It was just an amazing show. Anyway, um, if you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world, only one,
1: what would it be? Oh my, that's a big question. One thing. Uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I heard that my producing partner Ari said something great the other day. This project we're working on is very, uh, it's all about inclusivity and, and just togetherness and it's, uh, been affecting all of us. It's just a really beautiful piece. And she said, you know, I wish we could remove ego from the world because I think it would It would eliminate a lot of the anger and arguments and fights between people and cultures. And so I'm going to steal Ari's idea and say it'd be great if we could remove the ego. And that's why Ari and I get along so well. When we work on films and shoots, we find people with the same collective mind where we all have a bit of an ego. We all like a little moment in the sun, but ultimately you're not afraid to watch magic happen around you. And I think that if the world did that in a bigger way, we would be a lot more accepting of each other and – you know not not so confrontational and not so me focused and i think it'd be a little bit of a more peaceful and more nurturing kind of place
0: absolutely no argument from me my friend that is <laughs> that is a very very wonderful and powerful now hmm. you're in the entertainment business but i get the feeling that you also I mean you do you uh coach uh entrepreneurs do you have programs for them
1: well you know i I I was very lucky to have some amazing people who always were there for me. So whenever um, people come to me and want advice or to chat, I am always willing to to sit and talk with them or mentor producers or have producers shadow me. And there was a really great program that LinkedIn started, which I don't know what they call it now. I think it's like a working ambassador or something like that. But it was basically like a mentor scenario where they would uh, – and they they asked me if I would like to be a mentor. And it's been a great – process because linkedin will send me uh individuals who have questions primarily entertainment based and then i'll work with you know editors who want to become writers and uh young people who want to get into the business and just help them with some thoughts and ideas and some inspiration and i, I really believe in giving back because i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have gone anywhere had it not been for the generosity and the support and the encouragement of a pat shields and a susan butterworth it, it changed it made all the difference for as difficult as days are sometimes those words and those pats on the back from them just really keep you going and and change my life so i'm always happy to help people out and hope that i can give back a little bit of what they gave me
0: that's fabulous and do you also have any um programs that people would pay for or not
1: pay for no No, i I think Uh Ari we we were she was talking about doing kind of a lecturing series and so we haven't really because my schedule is so tight I really do enjoy speaking and so we're trying to do more of that if I can free up my schedule because I do think that's something that I would enjoy and so we're working towards that but right now we don't have anything that's you know public consumption.
0: So I usually I always ask how can people contact you do you want people to contact you? <laughs>
1: I love hearing from people. We're all people, and you know the best way for me is on Instagram. Uh, my handle there is at Good Producer, and usually we'll post things up what we're doing behind the scenes, kind of some fun stuff. And I love people to DM us there and, and conversation as well as LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is a great place to you know, especially for our industry list. So many people move around, and LinkedIn has been just such a fantastic foundation to not only interact with people but also to track people because people move around this industry to go from one network to the next one and linkedin is uh, the really my favorite place to keep in contact at all times
0: and on linkedin what is your handle there
1: uh, just harry lowell l-o-w-e-l-l beautiful
0: any final thoughts for our storytellers today
1: uh final thoughts uh you know i, I have to say this i I don't really have any final thoughts except to say that this experience with you listening to your podcast and what you give to your listeners and the experiences you bring and the dialogues you have with your guests, including me, and and how crazy our process was uh, just because we we missed East Coast times and and West Coast times, and you've been so patient. I have learned a lot, and I think it's always great to reach out and take opportunities to meet new people, and this has been great for me, and I really appreciate what you do on your podcast and that you thought enough to have me on it.
0: Thank you so much. I totally received that, and uh, I want to thank you because uh, you your energy, besides what you say, is your energy um, backs it up, and, and it's, <laughs> it is it's inspiring. You've inspired me, and I know that you're inspiring our storytellers, and that is a wonderful contribution. Thank you again
1: thank you and please tell my wife that because she's less inspired she's more annoyed but i will let her know i'll
0: pass <laughs> well that on. that's because she's with you every day <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a little too much for anybody
0: <laughs> and thank you once again storytellers for spending time today with me and harry lowell this is definitely another one for you to generously pay forward let people know they can enjoy this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast dot com. Go to the website and download the gift that I have there for you—a free ebook called "Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life in Business." It will definitely expand your view of and enhance your power of communication. Once again, I'm going to emphasize that readers are leaders and you have access to any audiobook of your choice, choosing from more than 180,000 titles. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power download your free audiobook and get one month absolutely free of all of audible's service this was a very interesting interview for me on many many levels certainly because of the things that harry revealed the things that he Said the lessons that he learned that he's sharing with us about life and business, success, happiness. But there's another thing I want you to really tune into it's the way he said it. His energy, his total transparency about who he is and what he loves gave us access to his passion. And that, in and of itself, apart from what he said, how he says it, influences us if we're open to that influence. So for you to really seize the golden nugget from this show during the week, take a good look at your own life and be honest. Are you... Honoring and living your passion. Are you um, honoring and living any of them? You don't have to, if you discover that, oh, you know what? I'm really not doing what I'm totally passionate about. Well, it doesn't mean that tomorrow you have to quit your job or stop doing everything that you're currently doing. But you can begin by... Nurturing at least one of your passions and then let that momentum grow and perhaps nurture another and you may come to a point where you decide you're going to take a leap into an entirely new story that allows you to live your calling which we all have, that essential passion to live that full out, what I like to call to live out loud. And to help you do that, begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life?